0: Code white 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 Code white white Code white 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 intake.
1: So, um, we're in a location, we're on location, uh, doing this episode and it's really hot and there's no air conditioning. And as the temperature rises, I will let you know whether Jody and I continue to get more agitated or more sensual. That's
0: yeah, I guess that's a toss up.
1: Yeah. And I, my feeling is that I want it to be both. I, I want sensual <laughs> agitation. <laughs>
0: That's not going to happen.
1: And since we're already uncomfortable, um, what's your favorite Philip Anselmo project?
0: Oh. Uh, can't say Pantera. That doesn't count. Yeah. Probably Down. I can't meet you there. I mean, I like Down. Well, I know because you're a hippie. And like if, if anyone's ever heard of the band that you listen to, you're like, fuck, I'm done with them. Superjoint Richable. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not against Superjoint. I, I didn't listen to enough of it probably, but March of the Saints. Down. Oh, was, on March the Saints, on that third down record? Yeah. Uh, that, that down record was a perfect
1: Phil Anselmo-ism
0: over yeah. the under. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that album, as far as just metal or rock is concerned. It was his
1: first so- sobriety record. Yeah. It's, that, that, that that one. That record that, hit so hard. I think it came out in like 2008 or something. Yeah. It was good. It was, I really, really liked so it. So good. Yeah. I mean, Superjoint just goes harder to me because that was like when he was deep into his heroin addiction and man, he just made the best music when he was strung out. That's why Great Southern Train goes so hard. Yeah, the
0: lyrics on that is like, they were written in Chinese and translated by someone from Portugal. I, it, they're, that that. And they're, <laughs> like, when you sit down and read them,
1: it is brutal. Yeah, it's like, it good. is super selfish and self-destructive. And a lot of talk about heroin and knives. Yeah. Because that's what was kind of on his mind at the time classic and, and like you see him live during that era and his like his voice is like two or three octaves lowered and he can't stand up and his eyes are shut and it's like sammy davis jr said man no junk no soul <laughs> i do not condone the use of heroin
0: yeah i don't um know how many of, of our people are gonna remember sammy davis jr Maybe. i don't know how many people are gonna remember philip onselmo <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: and uh if you don't you just uh, there's an unfollow button i think somewhere yeah. Just, just scroll down, it's fine
0: is, it, that, is that where you're drawing the line?
1: Oh yeah, I don't know, that's it You gotta have boundaries yeah. okay. So we're back, assault precautions once again I'm Isaac, I'm a tech Well I was a tech, I guess I'm something else now I don't know You're so many things Yeah, I'm, a, I'm like 11 things yeah. I get paid for one and a half <laughs> I'm Jody and I'm a nurse and Mostly Mostly a nurse, he's like a nurse point 2.0 yeah. That's two decimal that's right. points Yeah yeah, so it's like an IP address.
0: <laughs> what are we talking about today, Jody? Well, you know, something I think that's been recurrent that I've wanted to just sit down and talk about with you that's not science and it's not medications, it's not law, it's just work. And the milieu in particular. And yeah. just the texture of that. And what we see just on a day-by-day basis. What makes a good day? What makes a bad day? Right. What's... Um, a high acuity patient and what kind of influence does that have or how many types of influence are exerted over, you know, the rest of the, the population uh, in, in that center. So I wanted to kind of just talk about the interaction of patients and the yeah. hospitals and, and those type of things.
1: And how like it, I always think about how a person's acuity, uh, the, the rest of the milieu up on the unit should go into consideration when we determine whether or not we need to admit this person. I mean, I know it doesn't always. I mean, we work for private corporations and, you know, that's not how things go. But like, you know, in a perfect world, in an ideal hospital that we don't work at and only the NCLEX believes in, um, I wish they could, there's always this box of like, oh, hey, how does this person fit into the milieu? What is this person, what effect are they going to bring to the rest of the psych hospital What's it going to look like in three days with the way that these guys are?
0: Yeah, and I think acuity comes in so many flavors. You know, what has the potential to um, cause a disturbance in the milieu? And that's not just uh, a super aggressive patient or um, someone that's really uh, spectacular in a sense, where they're coming up and they have a certain presence and you know whether that's you know from an abusive history or perhaps uh it may be even criminal in some instances where you know kids have been in and out of different places different foster homes different hospitals different rtcs they know the system so what does it look like you know, if you have a Q5 or a one to one for a patient that is aggressive, we all get that. But what about one that is just hell bent on self harm? Yeah. Stop, you know, banging heads or cutting or scratching themselves or something, you know, of that nature. It's a high acuity patient.
1: Little side note here fuck a Q5. Why? I mean, why are you so against it? Just, just order the fucking one to one. That's too much. Okay. So okay, here's, here's why. And um, I've got 20 kids. And I'm the one tech on the unit. God forbid. That's a terrible ratio. But just just saying, I got 20 kids and one of them is a Q5 Yeah. and he's in room one and I have to do a round for rooms one to 10, 20 hits. He's my Q5. So I do room one first and then I have four minutes to do 19 other Q15s. And by the time 19 Q15s are completed, five minutes have elapsed and I'm back to the first kid. True. I can't address anything on the unit. I don't even have time to go get a granola bar for fucking Sammy over there. Yeah. Because a Q5 adds essentially 66% more rounding and 0% more staff. Sort of the fuck. Sort of the one-to-one. Sort of the one-to-one.
0: Okay. So I, I get it. I think some some patients don't meet that one-to-one criteria where you need to be and legally within six feet or within, inter, within a range of intervention. An actionable distance. An actionable distance. So some patients are of concern. Acuity is higher, but they don't really merit that type of coverage. Now, certainly at points that may have caused the Q5 to be instituted. Um, so say we had a patient that was um, just scratching and just scratching like holes in her forearm or his forearm. Is this like psoriatic or self-harm? Self-harm. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, just self-harm and they won't stop. And whether it's, um, you know, serious and they're going for some type of vessel or if it's just negative attention, superficial stuff, we can't let that behavior persist because we're aware of it and we know that it's dangerous and we need to be intervening. Now, is that a one-to-one situation? I, I've seen that particular situation yeah. escalate to a one-to-one, and I think it was appropriate, but not always. And I think just when a kid knows that you have an added presence, they tend to react. Mm-hmm. I also think that a Q5 helps to label a patient as, hey, watch this kid at extra special. Of course, he, you're going to be doing Q5. Yeah, I was like it's not so acute that he has to have his own yep.
1: guy with him, but he is definitely more acute
0: than... Yep. Sammy Q15 over here just wants a granola bar. So I think it's fine. From, you know, a nursing standpoint, you have this kid for 10 days or so and you have two or three sets of nurses come in and two or three or six sets of techs come through. Everybody on the same page is hey, why is the sheet yellow or pink or whatever, you know, you guys use to denote that, that special level of observation. Yeah. I, I think just the brand of that patient is, you know, let's just pay attention a little bit more is important. Q5s are difficult. And are yeah. you going to be there every five minutes? Maybe you're there every seven and a half or you know, not, whatever it is. Not when Jayco is there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there. and for you guys out there, you're saying Q15 minutes. And why wouldn't the patients become accustomed to, well, at zero and 15 and 30 and 45, they're going to come and check on me. So in between all of those times, I'm going to just create mischief. Fair game. Any good tech is going to tell you that they don't exactly time those checks staggered intervals is the way to go man yeah you kind of float in and out and sometimes you're in there every five minutes just mm-hmm. perhaps just trying to make you know your patient aware that you are you know conscious of your unit and all the activities that are going on and sometimes it may be that 17th or 18th minute when you get in there they don't know so because they don't have watches they don't well, they don't have watch i hope they don't have watches <laughs> you know if you're in there for a few days and somebody's keeping a clockwork type checklist you're going to get pretty used to that.
1: It's, well, I mean, sundials are okay, I guess, right? Not where I'm at. No. Well, I give them out. I don't know.
0: You're still giving sundials out? I'm still giving the sundials out. That first write-up didn't help you at all? I understand why we shouldn't be doing that?
1: Uh, well, I have some uh, conscientious objections to that. and <laughs> <know>. I'm displaying <laughs> oh, that. That's can... all the paperwork, sir. Yeah, just... We'll look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to give them out. Okay. To my, to my last day. And then when they, when they drag me from the building... I'm going to be leaving a trail of them as I throw them from my scrubs.
0: Yeah, we're probably going to not... You know, when we're, we're, we call you in and we're talking to you and stuff... Yeah, they're going to out. catch me in the parking lot yeah. so I can't get in. Yeah, we're going to be packing your desk while you're in there in that meeting. Oh, me. man, you guys we're are going to... keep in keeping gonna... all the fucking sundials. God, just, just bring my Batman poster out. Specifically not the Batman poster. And I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. We've already covered that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Good, 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 good.
1: Anyway... So the milieu, and it, you know, we get used to saying that word, but not everybody uses that word. What does milieu mean?
0: Uh, well, a milieu is the environment. It's the patients that were, are within it. It's I thought
1: it was like a crepe, you, like with the sour cream and the butter. Oh,
0: and the, no, that's not a milieu. Oh, that's a crepe, Suzette. You're right. Right. But it's not just patients. It's uh, caregivers. It's It's the activities. It's everything involved that create that environment, that therapeutic environment for a patient. It's
1: the general vibe of
0: the place. Yeah. Which can turn on a dime. Yeah, and I think that's where we're at today, talking about patients that get introduced into what you may consider on Monday a fairly stable unit, and by Wednesday, you know, uh, no time to explain, grab a cactus. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's just that kind of environment. And what that does, um, and we're not talking about Isolating out that patient that's creating that type of disturbance. We're talking about everyone. What happens to that patient and, um, you know, what, what behavior warrants a, a physical restraint and perhaps even medication. And I think after doing just so many of those, what it looks like to other patients, especially patients that have that type of abuse history yeah. um, or sexual abuse history of any type, mm-hmm. um, what that means to even just witness it. And it's dangerous and it's, it's damaging. And I try to prevent it as much as possible. I'll always give great levity and walk around with patients and spend a lot of extra time trying to avoid that just for everyone. And it's not just bystanders or triggerable patients, it's the patient himself. I mean, it's horrible. It's, a, it's just a horrible experience. Right. It's necessary and often. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but we try to avoid it as much as possible. Yeah. But that type of patient—what does that look like? What does it mean to other patients? What type of boundaries are we crossing with that? When we have a rapport built, and you know, therapeutically, where can we get back to where we started from, and maybe even a better place afterwards?
1: I feel like one of these things that, that always comes to mind whenever we will take a badass patient. You know, like we've got a decent milieu. We've been at work for a couple days, you and I, and uh, everything's moving at a decent pace. Like my worst problem is that somebody cried while they were on the phone with their mom.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're,
1: we're out of towels. Yeah, that's, we're out of towels. That's, yeah. That's a, yeah. yeah, like it's fine. Like just use two washcloths. Dude. You'll be good. <laughs> that was our biggest problem. And then we get somebody in who's just off the chain and they're and they're belligerent and they're cursing, and they're throwing things, and they're threatening everybody, and they're swinging on everybody for whatever reason. It could be this behavioral component. It could be true psychosis and all points in between. But I feel like the thing that comes to mind the most is neglect. Is that if I've got 40 kids or 40 adults on a unit and I have one, a kid or adult that comes in, he, like that, he gets all of my attention. And now for the next three or four days, we don't know any of the other kids' names. We know this guy's name. We know
0: Jody. I used your name. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. And it, it creates this, this huge negative environment where kids are at the, at the very best, at least distracted and the therapeutic value of the milieu is diminished at the very worst, they're involved in an altercation with this guy. And for a number of reasons, let's say we're just straight up approached and, or touched or you know some boundaries crossed. I've had patients come to the rescue of nurses that were being attacked or other right. patients. Um, I mean, it, it, it runs the gamut as to why bystanders would get involved. Well, mm-hmm. He hit my friend or whatever that thing is, and all of a sudden there's a full-on melee. And it's, we're talking about just one patient that came in on a Wednesday afternoon. You got a call for admissions and... Here's this thing that's going on and you go down there and you escort them up to the unit and then just the entire texture of that entire milieu is now changed. It's like having, it's like having a bowl of cottage
1: cheese with like a little bit of salt and pepper. And then you just go in there with like Chipotle Tabasco and squirt it all in the bowl. Is that, is that bad? Do you not eat savory cottage cheese? I don't like the sound of it I was just making things up oh. I mean I do like those things separately But I feel like if you put Chipotle Tabasco into cottage Is that a thing? Have I, gone, have, have I made a bad metaphor? I don't know it's a bad metaphor it's just, I Let me change weird. it to it's a little bit more cut and dry Because fucking foodie over here To be like oh you don't like sushi. I Listen I don't know that I've ever seen so so it I'm eating sound bad. So I'm eating razor bran And a rhinoceros comes in and shits in it <laughs> Does that fit? Is that better? It's yeah, appropriate Okay a little bit more cut and dry, yeah. except the rhinoceros species. It's not cut and dry. No, it's, it's very loose. Okay. <laughs> so the rhino come in and shit, and, and, and like even if you have a like a ten gallon bowl of raisin bran you know, you're just being ridiculous. I have a ten gallon bowl home. Huh? Okay. I don't like raisin bran Fuck raisins. They're humiliated grapes. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they are. I mean, come on, the poor guys. It's, it's just like it's like fruit jerky. Get out of my face so how like you even the tiniest bit of rhino loose stool goes into my raisin bran the whole raisin bran experience is ruined like you want to try and eat around it
0: are you following me on the metaphor am I'm I, not yeah i'm not eating around it and i think the metaphor that you're drawing is smart because now the entire bowl is for all effect even though it's 10 gallons apparently yeah it's fouled how many boxes is that <sighs> I, mean, I don't know i it's a lot. Yeah, I have to get my conversion chart out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Raisin brand converter. Yeah, no, I left it at work. But that's what that's what happens, and you go from a milieu that is—you uh, have patients that are you know able to engage in cooperative play. The therapy groups are very positive. There's a lot of input, uh, and even with anxiety. the
1: ones, even with the ones that are like not, you know, great with. Input and participation that you get the parallel participation off to the side too with like your spectrum kids and stuff yeah,
0: and then you have you know rhino rhino feces <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now you're now everyone needs their anxiety PRN that that you know that afternoon and they're on edge Staff and included. and they're they're quiet in group because now our guy that actually went to group today even though you probably didn't want him to go to group now he wants to go to group yeah now he's disruptive and he's intimidating and he's doing all those things and the kids that were participating this morning now in the afternoon group are not
1: yeah because none of us wants to go to group because Rhino Feces is going to go to group <laughs> we and have to change his name That's so bad I like this Scholar Rhino. Yeah. Rhino is going to go to group and and Rhino everywhere and now I'm not interested in going to group. So my programming has stopped too. So now you, you you know at at the cost of this kid has no intention of programming a group. He just goes in there to Rhino everywhere. Yeah. Now you've lost two kids at a group cuz the other one who was participating for days and was getting somewhere and making progress is like what's the point of going to group? I can't go
0: in there because it's all about Rhino cuz he's throwing chairs and putting a finger in his butt. Yeah, and you'll see patients now requesting discharge because now they're nervous or they're afraid or they're just full of anxiety. And, and I mean, it, it cannot be argued that at that point during their admission, they may be worse at that point in that moment than when they entered. Right,
1: because this is not something that, you know, we, we tell the guys that, you know, you're getting a break from what you've got going at home with the family dynamic and school or work or what have you. But then you come here and there's a rhino here. Like you don't even have that at home. So like at this point, they're starting to wonder, was home a better
0: environment than this psychiatric hospital? Because I've got a rhino here. I don't have this guy at home. Yeah. And you know, maybe it's not even rhino. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a different patient. Maybe it's a pseudo seizure patient. Oh, that's always fun. So there, there, there is that type of patient we see from time to time that has a pattern of. Seizure like behavior. There's, they're absolutely negative on any uh, scans they have. Yeah. They run the, uh, the EEGs negative, no activity, even 72 hour. And I'm not Yeah, the ambulatory. It yeah. But what I'm saying is that I've been witness to several seizure interventions and, and led them. And I know what it looks like. Yeah. And there's a classic thing called a sternal rub. Which, if I even for a moment begin to suspect, I'll apply, and it's very uncomfortable. And if you're conscious at all, you're gonna react. You I've never asked me to stop doing that. I don't think I've ever had one. Oh, come here. Oh, shit. Come Let's, here. Come here. Let's do yeah. it. Okay, now this is gonna suck. Are you ready? Yeah? I did not like that. No, it sucks. That was that was it's largely simple. uncomfortable and, and so really what that me- it does is it's a measure of conscious. so in a true seizure true you know epilepticus that patient's not going to be able to respond you know, I the pulse we're going to have the dynamap on them we're going to see a pulse 120 plus pressure's going to be crazy Oxygenation's going to go down because they are you know their o2 levels decreasing because they're hyperventilating they're doing all those things you're going to go stone hard rigid in muscle groups that are hard to activate. Mm. You'll, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. The sacrum is completely contracted. Yeah. yeah, you'll know when you should call and get the order for the Ativan. Yeah. You know, there's a protocol for all that, and some of it's standing and some of it isn't. depends on whether or not we know the patient. But that's also, when we have a patient like that that does the seizure activity and falls down and every time they're reacting to the sternal rub and their vitals are completely stable, It's it's... It's a pattern of behavior, really, is what that is. Yeah. Like, what it's, are we trying to avoid
1: here, right? buddy?
0: Yeah. They, they do it um, for a number of reasons. And I've had a, you know, several patients to do it. And they all kind of fill into the same flavor. But you can't neglect it. You have to address it each and every time. And you have to come out. And you have to record the vitals. And you have to, to be yeah. prepared to do the time-ins and the time-outs and the intervention and everything. And you have to clear the room. That's also high-acuity patient. Because she's taking a lot of time and a lot of attention and it's it's causing a disruption in the milieu. So that's just another breed of a high acuity patient that doesn't have any special level of observation. Just fifteen like everyone else.
1: Yeah, and then seizure precaution is marked because you know, technically we
0: don't have a positive or
1: negative EEG in the house.
0: There's never been a diagnosis on the girl the people that I've seen. You know you just don't have an active diagnosis of that, and you talk to the family, and they're like, "Well, she does that sometimes. like, yeah. well, I mean, I understand, but because absence of evidence is an evidence of absence, marked seizure precaution, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, the you know the fall precautions, the slippy socks and all the all that daily Edmondson, all those things come in, and it, because it's just it's on the record. Here's this patient that's having this this type of activity. You have to monitor it, you have to intervene, you have to document everything. Episodes, but it's not. It's in the end, not a seizure. I mean, that's just as simply as I can say it. It's just not seizure activity. It's not right. legitimate, you know. And that medication. can change the whole thing because then you know this this
1: patient does this seven or eight times in a day. How much time is that taken? Yeah, three four hours. Yeah, no, of I've all had of had your patients that have popped more than once. And yeah, you know. And then the other kids are just sitting around waiting on you to be done, and and you're kind of sending them the message that this sort of uh hypochondriacal behavior is a good way to get attention. So you, you know, you kind of see these behaviors, uh, become viral.
0: Yeah. Maybe, have you seen like, that
1: too? Yeah. Or like, um, you'll see, and it's especially popular in the teenage girl, uh, population like nowadays. And I feel old when I say that, but I am old. You are old. I have some gray in my beard. It's fine. It could be mold gross from all the savory, <laughs> savory cottage cheese, <laughs> savory cottage cheese. <laughs> <It's thick. laughs> um, Like you'll have one person that comes in that is pretending, for lack of a better word, pretending or emulating, I guess would be a better clinical term, emulating having some form of Tourette's tics. Yeah, I've seen that. And then that's s- viral because when you yep. have one that's doing it, you there's always like, get another one. There's like you you come to the day room the next day, and there's like seven of them, <laughs> yeah. ticking like a bunch of fucking chickens in yeah, a coop, just, do, yeah. just doing that. And you're like, you guys are all fine. And we yesterday. literally saw this like what three three or four months ago. Yeah, like, <laughs> like all of a sudden I've got everybody flopping. <laughs> I'm like come on guys, this isn't how you. Well, like it's not
0: okay. I know that the banana pudding the previous day for dinner was was a lot yeah so i wasn't completely dismissing it but i after further investigation it ends up it was just a viral kind of negative tension
1: banana pudding shouldn't be that tangy it was super tangy i don't know yeah, what right? i don't know what happened like if you got the banana pudding mix and the pineapple pudding mix and i'm gonna realize the powder looks the same i don't know listen i ate two of them i was fine God, I I wasn't fine. <laughs> hey, I had I had other reports that people weren't fine. Well, I was on a toilet clutching a crucifix. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> but that can change the whole. Even a behavior as as mild as that, it can it can jump around because, you know, zooming back out thematically, we're talking about if we give if we are giving most slash all of our attention to these, rhino behaviors, it's inadvertently sending the message that I can't get any attention at all from my staff members, from my nursing staff, from my techs, from anyone, unless I am in some kind of crisis. Yeah. Which sucks, which is exactly the kind of thing that we're trying to extinguish to some of these patients. It's like there's, there's ways for you to get positive attention from adults that does not involve violence or an explosion of some kind because sometimes this is what's been conditioned in these kids at home is that you know they get attention from acting out because they have an otherwise completely absent and neglectful parent or spouse or something like that the only way they get attention is to start a fire,
0: ha- start a fire in the living room start a fire in the living room. that's how i get attention yeah yeah I like that, that burn barrel thing. That was a good compromise for you, though, where you can still burn, but it's still relatively
1: safe. She keeps asking that I not put as much styrofoam in there, but I feel like that's just a challenge for me to get more styrofoam. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not. And there's like a whole lot of raw chicken that goes in there, too.
0: Well, I mean, you've already given this cute space. You know, just be satisfied.
1: I do think I have given the cat some kind of chicken infection. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: But I think, you know, overall, when you look at day-to-day and and the spectrum of patients that you get, and it it can really vary greatly. I've been, I think, amazed at times to come in to see, let's say, 20 patients maybe on a unit. And um, they come in different flavors, of course, and different backgrounds. But generally, there's a few that have some things in common, um, similar backgrounds, which are kind of just plain vanilla. Not really any abuse, but depression, you know, suicidal ideation, maybe some self-harm sprinkle. Maybe it's current. Maybe it's old. But that, that flavor of patient kind of fits in. And they generally bond, and they do well in therapy, and they, they do a lot of the things together. But they are they can be easily intimidated because it's generally just your very mainstream patient that go to school at, um, or work and do all the normal things. They just, they just can't get past this thing and maybe... Yeah. At one point, they made a mistake or made a choice that got them a recommendation and got them, you know, assigned to a psychiatric facility. But that's not the whole—it's not fair to say that that's the majority because— No, it's not. And, I mean, they're constantly creating new flavors. And, you know, we're used to some of the— It's like Ben and Jerry's. Drug-induced psychosis or— you know, really aggressive behavior for whatever reason, you know, if that's just behavioral or behavioral or if there's an IDD component or whatever that is. But I think a lot of like the transgender uh, patients that we're seeing, we're seeing more and more of that that are coming in. Um, one, um, I guess, recently in the past that was very time intensive, was very, um, she never really got to a one-to-one, but we didn't really know how to approach this patient. She ended up, um, she was physically a male and identified as female. And she was actually very pleasant. But she ended up back programming with the males and did very well. And it was after a moment where she had actually asked to be isolated away from some girls that she was having troubles with. But for those first few days, we saw some of that high acuity, high need, really having to process through a lot of things. She programmed okay. But it's that type of just you never know what you're going to get, and the way that that identity was being expressed was sort of agitating other patients and it just became an issue right, and it's something as simple as that um, that creates again a different texture within the milieu
1: i, I, I you're right because it, it, it there's certain it's almost like you have a a certain amount of attention that you can give to all of your patients and it feels like some of them take larger portions than others. Some of them because they want larger portions than others and some because they genuinely need larger portions than others. But it can, I don't know that some of the patients understand the distinction between the two. So it can feel
0: robbing of their experience. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you have patients of similar mindsets sort of that are um, very self-focused and, require a lot of attention or a lot of validation. And so when you begin to have to split that, let's say that you had given them a lot of time on Tuesday, Wednesday is not so good because now we have three or four different patients in that we're really having to manage or maybe we had an admission or maybe something went on that was busy and you're not able to give that time. Now they, they can begin to react in a negative way, and that their acuity will increase. They'll become agitated or need that anxiety PRN or whatever that thing is that increases their level, you know, of just activity within the milieu. Right. Um, so it's just a different flavor. You never know what to expect throughout the day. You never know what kind of patients you're going to have. If you, if you come in up for your shifts, you know, you're picking up and it's been four or five days, you may have a whole new patient set and learning everyone and figuring out their thing and going through charts and having conversations and... You know, depending upon where they're at, if they're low maintenance or if they're high maintenance, you know, coming in, um, you begin to kind of just unpeel this onion of your shift and look at everyone and try to figure everything out for everyone. And it's difficult sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I I want to change gears to something that you and I've touched on. Like we've been talking about this topic for a couple of months or so. And I wanted to loosely talk about this thing that is really frustrating with, folks that work on the floor, the list. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, about the list?
0: Well, um, yes. Every every
1: hospital has the list. The list that doesn't exist.
0: It doesn't exist.
1: It doesn't. As far as I know. Um, Every hospital has that list that definitely doesn't exist, and no, we don't keep that sort of thing because it would be against the law. But there's a list of people that are some places I've heard people call it the administrative review list.
0: I've heard it called that.
1: Yeah. A name pops up on the board in admissions and we consult the list that does not exist. And they're on the list that does not exist. And we administratively review it. So we, it's essentially uh, a list of people that we do not want back at a particular facility. Everywhere that I've worked has this list, although if J.C.O. or the state, if you're listening, uh, there's no such thing, and I don't know what you're talking about. It would be unethical to suggest such a thing. But if you're not J.C.O., let's face it, everyone has
0: one of those. Everybody, you know, it may not even exist physically, I but think, it's verbally. I think a better name for the list is a... Patient history profile within the facility.
1: I think that's a great, great thing to say that's like avoid the litigation process.
0: Well, let's say, for instance, uh, Rhino um, Willington, who you discussed earlier, was admitted. He's been admitted five times. And the last time he was admitted, um, he broke a text nose and ripped all of the uh, drop ceiling out of the day room and um, urinated openly on someone's breakfast tray. Nice might not be really therapeutic to the other patients within the milieu. And I've seen it labeled as that patient has reached their therapeutic maximum of what we have to offer. They have plateaued. They've completed treatment at our facility on a number of occasions, um, and we've discharged them. So we feel that perhaps we don't have an appropriate bed for this patient as they've reached our therapeutic limit. Now that's probably true and that's right. a great argument and I think that's what is difficult for you know some of the regulatory agencies to differentiate when we're looking at you know the EMTALA laws and when we bring patients in and evaluate them and you know decide whether or not they're going to meet meet our admission criteria and whether or not they are appropriate for the milieu and that's the very essence of our discussion today right so sometimes you you get put into a situation where you don't really have an alternative except to at least admit this patient and get them fed and housed and uh, medicated and evaluated and all of the things because the situation that they're in sometimes is it handcuffs or, you know, it, who knows? It, it's never good. It's yeah. never a good thing. We're never picking up people from Six Flags off the roller coasters, you know. It's never no, bad. No, those guys are fine. Yeah. So... Those patients, even if we do know them, you know, given the law, we have to evaluate them and we have to provide some type of care for them. Some kind of assessment. Yeah, well, at the, at the very least. At the assessment. very least. And if we're in acute psychosis, I mean, that's kind of our business. Yeah, we have to. So it's difficult, you know, and, and those are the admissions that we see that may not be just absolutely a perfect fit for the milieu. And but can are, we help them? Well, can we help them? Can we not help them? What does the law say? What does the bedboard say? I mean, there's a lot of considerations to right. going into that.
1: But. And, and I feel like those of us on the floor get a little bit laser focused on do we want to help this person? Like, oh my God, such and such is in the lobby and they have been here 18 times and they want to come in a 19th fucking time and, and oh my God. And like, well, okay. Take a step back, take a deep breath can we not help them a 19th time because they're just here to fuck shit up well, as some of them admit that they're here to do, or are they difficult and we don't want to help
0: them, but we do have the tools to do it. I don't know. I've, some of my favorite patients have been the patients that have been multiple admissions that you are able to establish a, a rapport with and they know you when you go down to get them in missions and, I I'm a big believer and sometimes it's the thirtieth or the hundredth time where people actually get it and are able to right. make a decision to do something different. You know, whether that's aftercare or an appropriate um, aftercare facility long term, whatever that thing is that keeps them, you know, either a out of this really toxic environment or the street in some cases. So we see those patients and sometimes the very best that you can do for someone is to just feed and give them a bed for a few days. Right. I mean, that is that is aid. That is help. And that's really what we're built to do is help people that are having a crisis. That's a, that's a crisis situation. Is it sometimes go really sideways and create our beautiful Tuesday morning milieu into an absolute nightmare in the afternoon? Sometimes. Yeah. It, it does. It just does. And that's just the nature of the business. Can we, when we're full and we have manageable patients, and we don't have an appropriate bed, refer that patient out to a a facility that is very similar, that offers the same level of care that that patient needs and has already been ordered for, Mm -hmm. yeah, we can do that. Can we accept the patient and be working on a transfer from within, like a patient transfer MOT? Yeah, we could do that. Mm -hmm. And it all depends on really what the response is, you know, what, what are we getting from this patient? Are they fighting everyone? Are they breaking everything in sight? Am I one to one the guy out of control? Is he not participating in group? Is he violent in the milieu? Yeah. If the last
1: seven times this person's been here, he's never once gone to group. He's refused all medications. The yeah. The guardian or spouse or judge or parent has never once signed a medication consent, and the only thing they do is sexually assault other patients here and physically assault other patients here. What's the? I mean, what are we doing here? What's the point?
0: My hands are tied. There's, there, I, I can't help this kid. Well, you know, we're just, I think we're a cog at a wheel of a system that's not really operating that well. Right. And we're on the same wheel we're the, in some cases. For some of these patients, the criminal justice system is the foster care system, the mm-hmm. state.
1: And about seven or eight other psychiatric hospitals that we
0: keep <laughs> wheeling through. They're on there. But, you know, I, you can't even blame the patient at this point because they're just making bad decisions. They're going to continue to make those bad decisions. Right. We know that. Mm-hmm. We already know that. And as much process as we can do with that patient. And, and I've had patients on that third or fourth or tenth admission come through and finally just, they get it. They're actually, and even if they're not going to fully follow through with everything, they this time they went to get the prescriptions filled or this time they went to that aftercare. Matter yeah. of fact, I actually saw it happen today. Really? True story.
1: Fantastic. Um, this patient has been there more fucking days than I've been there. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Like, we're talking about bronze plaque on the, we already have the yeah. plaque made. It's Almost like, no, getting paid. We know, we know what your room is. It's fine. Yeah. yeah like, he's, like, he's going to work there. It's fine. He knows the procedures better than some of the techs do. <laughs> uh, but this person finally started opening up and like breaking down and really digging into some of these issues. And it was the first time that any of us had ever seen this breakthrough happen out of this person. And I swear to you, I, it's, his number of visits is in double digits, but it happened and it happened today. And it's like, it goes to show you, like you were saying on the seventh or 10th or 15th visit, this could be the one. I mean, I know it it gets exhausting because every time you see some of these people's names come across the board, because they're on the MOT on the way or
0: something like that, you're like, oh, well, fuck but, you know, it does happen. It, it, it's difficult at times. I'll tell you kind of a here's, here's a jodaism, a core belief thing. But it is difficult to navigate sometimes, and I'll be honest. That things are going to happen, not necessarily, I don't believe in fate or the way that they're supposed to happen, right? But you can never have been a negative influence on the process. In other words, you have this patient that's here for the 10th time. Are you going to diminish in some way the level that you approach or the care that you give this patient this time or next time or the 20th time? Because it's easy to do that. And I have to find myself sometimes going, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And bringing myself back to what I know is right. Because it, it will happen eventually. And I see people sometimes with kids that are having a difficult time i'm like hey listen everybody reaches 30 or 40 or whatever that thing is i'm 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 a full full full-grown adult still trying to be a person sometimes and i think everyone's doing that so to be able to look at an 18 year old or a a 11 year old or a 40 year old or whatever that thing is and go i just expected you'd be better by now well it really it's not It's insulting it, it's inappropriate to even say that. Yeah. And we would all hope that they would do better, of course, but yeah, right. to have a negative impact on that, to, for that, for that person or patient or whoever that person is, for a moment to go, yeah, and that guy said blank to me, or this guy didn't care enough, or this guy right. blew me off. He was
1: one of 40, 50 people in the last year who have yeah. just written me off. And
0: that's bad for that patient. But the truth is, it's bad for you. And at some yeah. point, you'll realize that the person that you would like to be—you had multiple opportunities to be—and you didn't. You might be the first like, safe,
1: attentive human being that they've met in months and months, and I'm like, absolutely, that's your attitude. Then,
0: yeah, so you're just—you're not doing way.
1: them any favors. You're not doing yourself any favors.
0: You're making their case. No right. one no one cares. You're appealing to their own cynicism. Right. Right so I've I've found at times I, I've it's been hard to have a positive influence. Especially when you get punched in the face or bitten oh, yeah. or whatever that thing is and it's upsetting and it's disappointing. But to see that patient when you come in that for shift and they're there and you're like, damn, damn it. Again? You're mad to see them because you're mad again that there's been some failure somewhere you right but you don't care about the molest as a person or you don't go well that's it i'm done with you you obviously don't get it and you're never going to get it yeah because and that may be true that it may be i'm not you, betting on the I mean, outcome that's, that's true what i'm betting on is my input so i think that keeps you honest and i think it just If you just have that one rule and you approach everyone the same with that attitude, I think it's very honest and it's very easy to maintain, even though at times it's very fucking hard to maintain. True story. (laughs) So, you know, finalizing here,
1: in terms of a challenge to a milieu, I want to talk about, I want actually Jody to tell us about um, something that we saw, a challenge to the milieu that him and I saw, and now him and I have worked neck and neck for years and have seen many, many challenges, but this is a challenge unlike anything else we've ever seen. Um, talk to us about
0: Cam Newton. Our, our most recent guest.
1: Yeah, this was our recent Cam Newton. Again, sorry to pick on Cam Newton today. I know that he was cut from the Patriots. Did you know that? They cut him from the Patriots today. Uh, the, yeah, it was coming. Cam Newton. They, kept the, they kept the little dreadlock spike on top of his head. That's still going to be a starter. <laughs> but the rest of Cam Newton. So here's the
0: thing with Cam Newton. And Cam Newton, and, and following what I just said, this is odd. I'm trying. Cam Newton, I'm done with. And you know why? I believe it was 2011, 2012. They had a game at Lambeau. <laughs> and he came in and was screaming at fans and was tearing posters off the, off, you know, the railings yeah. and just being completely disrespectful. Like and, you do. Yeah. I, and uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Packers fan. But beyond that, that's just not gentlemanly. It's really rude. <laughs> it's just completely rude. And fuck Cam Newton. I don't care where he plays. I hope he does not I hope he does not really. And, and it's not that he's a bad athlete and whatever. I mean, he was up in contention. But that other guy's clearly better. Who's that, Josh Little? I don't, that remember, I don't remember that story. Clearly better. Yeah. yeah, and he's, he's the future of the Patriots. He's not Cam Newton. He, he can go back and You know, they lost Sonny Michaels, too, right? Well, that's unfortunate.
1: This last week, you know who got Sonny Michaels?
0: No. We did.
1: Sonny Explain Mi- we. Sonny Michaels is now on the Los Angeles Rams, and that's my team. Oof. That's going to be formidable. I mean... I've, I'm not, I don't feel upset about it. Matt Stafford and Cam Newton? Yeah. I mean, uh, Sonny Michaels, not Cam Newton. Yeah, don't take Cam Newton. No, you should just get him for that free. That should have been part of the part <laughs> of the deal. Like, we'll give you Sonny Michaels, but you have to take Cam Newton. you got to take Cam Newton. Like, okay. Yeah, fuck Cam
0: <laughs> Newton. Anyway. So anyway, tell us about Cam Newton. So uh, we recently had a patient that we'd had before. And mm-hmm. he was charming last time. He was it was certainly peculiar and had these idiosyncrasies that were very unique and, but very polite, very pleasant. Just psychotic and baseline it was already you know had some previous hospitalizations, had some medications going pleasantly psychotic. Not really so compliant with the medications, and they weren't just like Lexapro five. They were you know Risperdal and Seroxine. Risperdal seven hundred. Yeah, <laughs> with a family history. Um, schizophrenia and some other things going on. He effectively damn near shut down my unit. Actually, I, I feel like he did. He, well, there were moments of the day where he absolutely did. Um, we had <laughs> our environments sort of odd, and there is a separation of units, but not completely because patients can still interact. And I had patients fully, a well, full unit. All the beds were full. And he was across by himself. On his own unit, guys. And absolutely warranted. He, he, I, never
1: in my years doing this have I seen a patient so acute that they get a unit All by themselves. Every other bed is blocked.
0: I think it was kind of a one-off. I mean, certainly he was not going to integrate into the the other milieu. You didn't want him to integrate. But there were circumstances that allowed us sort of the flexibility to put him over there. There were some things going on. It happened that we had a spare unit. It just happened. And we were like, the only possible solution to this issue is to put him over there. So we did that. And this was uh, a drug-induced psychosis, apparently, you know, got into something somewhere, and but was absolutely super aggressive and super delusional and paranoid and just sleepless for what was reported four or five days. It Office had to meds, be more than that. Yeah, I think it was.
1: Those lips <laughs> yeah. alone told you that it had been four or five days uh, since he had a drink of water.
0: Yeah, he was, he was in rough shape. But that, I think that one patient is probably what spawned this entire topic for us. Because at one point I called Isaac, I was like, Hey, you got to come and see this kid, but make sure, you know, you had a good day because he's going to hurt your feelings because he would find the most, he was super mean, ridiculous physical aspect of you and just blow it like a caricature just to just dominate <laughs> you with it. Like hey, You hurt my feelings a couple of times. It's just like, <laughs> tough. what he did he so say? What, with it. what was the so rude? Did he um, said to you? What was like the rudest thing? <laughs> I think he said, you, you, "You, and he would. So he would chain these insults together, like you fat ass, skinny ass, two shirt small, two small shirt wearing, you know, oh, okay. not matching Nikes, dirty sock fool. <laughs> just it was ridiculous, and I'm like at the end of it, I'm like, you know, he might be right about some of that. I don't know. It's just questioning myself. But he was. Very unique in his behavior and what he required to actually maintain him. He he was compliant with medications from day one, and he was taking them PO, and everything was fine. And I think after a couple of days, we finally got him to where he could sleep, and he started eating meals. And after that first day and a half, two days, he really wasn't threatening anymore. as He was just very odd and peculiar, and just still very psychotic. Couldn't give you crystal answers to any questions. It was like, not only did he have
1: a unit all to himself, but he was ordered to be a one-to-one, and it actually wasn't particularly safe for the one-to-one staff to even be on the unit with him. Well, <laughs> You had to be in the nurse's station. <laughs> there was, and, a- and not only could you, could you have to be in the nurse's station, we weren't actually allowed to have anybody on the, working in the nurse's station on the side of the counter that faced the unit, because he could reach you. Yeah. And so we had to be on the opposite
0: side watching from afar. Well, you know, and there was a, a period late in that afternoon where he was really taunting and he was, he was threatening. And I, I had to try to create some boundaries with him. so I went to the side of the nurse's station and he got back and like he was going to run and jump over. And he would run and jump and put his hands up and elevate himself and put his face almost in my face but not come over. He's still he still had some boundaries. He still had some boundaries, but he knew that I was not going to move. And I think he respected the the idea that he didn't want to come over because he didn't want the consequences for coming over um, because it's dangerous back there. There's medications and sharps and all of those things, so you don't want him back there. But I remember him standing there and swinging for my face, and I'm not 100% sure he wasn't trying to hit me. I don't think he was 100% sure either. But I didn't move, and it freaked yeah. him out. Because, I mean, his, I could feel his fist go by my nose.
1: I just want to read a text message conversation aloud that Jody sent me from the floor. Oh, boy, here it comes. And in quotation marks, no neck having dumb ass glasses wearing, fat ass skinny little home alone ass looking, probably got some devil ass shit tattoos on your fucking pregnant ass belly bitch motherfucker. See, that's just hurtful. Jody, may I get you some juice? Because <laughs> that's classic Jody. Did't say that. Yeah, but it better have no fucking period blood in it. Jody, deal. I I gave him the period blood-free juice. And I fired back to him and I was like, we ordered that especially for him. (laughs) And you said, yes, unfortunately, you ordered the sugar-free guava period blood juice. So now I'm wearing it. And in quotation marks, it's supposed to
0: be grape, you fucking bitch. And that was accurate. (laughs) That was a real quote. I wish it had been great, because that would have made him so happy, I think. That could have let... What if it just like completely
1: snapped him out of it, and he was like, "Oh my thanks. God. I also apologize for my unreasonable behavior. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I've been completely unmanageable. Well, so here's the good side of that story. He took the medications. He, he did what he was supposed to. We At some point, so we had a marvelous tech that was just exactly who she needed to be in the moments with yep. her for three days. We need to get her on the air. Oh, Ooh, we need to get her so...
1: drinking on the air. <laughs> yeah.
0: That'd be something else. But she was everything she needed to be inappropriately at the time that he was able to bond at some level with her, even though he was still cussing her out at some point and up in her face and she never moved. Yeah. Do you, would you like to watch toy story now? Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was this beautiful experience and this kid resolved and was back to his original admission status, pleasant. Mm. and Back to baseline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his baseline's, you know... Not my baseline. It's, it's a little shallower than others, well, but yeah. he's not super functional, but I think um, he can be at home with his family, and he can do things on his own, and, you know, could he find something... He, he could be on a unit with human beings at the end of his well, stay. Yeah. yeah, at the end, yeah, he could have integrated over. And I think we did that. Mm. Yeah, fine. no, he was there. So... But yeah, those first three days, he was, he was not friendly. He was unpleasant. Can I hear, give me that quote one more time. I have to hear that because that's, that's so hurtful.
1: All right. Let me scroll back up to it. I got it over here. Oh, there was something about asking the renovation people to make sure that they count the number of hammers. That was for an unrelated patient. The unrelated patient. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, no neck having dumb ass glasses wearing fat ass skinny little home alone ass looking probably got some devil ass shit tattoos on your pregnant ass belly bitch motherfucker
0: god that's so mean <laughs> that is so much. that is so rude <laughs> yeah
1: home alone ass i know and i, I, I think that, it's because because jody's bald and i'm wondering if that has like something to do with joe pesci i don't know like Because was he bald in those movies? Well, they burned the top of his head, so maybe that was the association there. I
0: don't know, but he was just stringing that together. For the record,
1: do you have any devil-ass shit tattoos on your pregnant-ass belly? No.
0: Well, no. Most, mostly
1: not. He doesn't know. That's a yes. That's a solid (laughs) yes. I don't think I do. Yeah, well, he has to go check again. So... uh, as always, um, we'll come up with something a little bit more sciencey, maybe, for you next week. And we'll drink a little more and come up with something more interesting to say. But uh, here's the part where Jody
0: always says. If you're out there and you're having some difficult thoughts and you're considering making a decision that may very well be permanent, I want you to give these guys a call. Because you can call them 24 hours a day and they'll listen to absolutely every word that you have to say. It's Suicide Hotline. one eight hundred two seven three 273 8255. They're good people. They're doing good work. Please take advantage.
1: And as always, have some Pantera.